We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Knicks fans? GMAC here. What you're about to listen to is a tease for the crossover episode that I did with Justin Rowan over at the Chase Down. We recapped this back-to-back that the Knicks just played against the Cleveland Cavaliers, a few takeaways that we both made about each other's teams, some early season concerns and whether the other person noticed them, and a whole lot more. For the rest of that episode, head on over to the Chase Down's podcast feed, whether on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy! Welcome to Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The Cleveland Cavaliers have split their back-to-back against the New York Knicks. That surprised me. I was dead wrong. Uh, after the last podcast, I was saying, yeah, you know what? We're probably starting one and four. It is what it is. But the Cavs managed to come away with a uh, an ugly, ugly victory, but they all count. They don't ask how, they ask how many. And joining me today is not my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. We have brought back a good friend of the podcast, Andrew Claudio from Nick's Film School, part of the Blue Wire Network. Andrew, how the hell are you doing, man? Justin, I'm great. I, I got to say, I was a little down after the Knicks lost last night. I'm pretty sure the Knicks just missed another wide open three-point attempt. <laughs> but then... They don't ask how, they ask how many. Um, the, the New York football Jets just, their head coach just said that after a victory over the New York Giants. So you've now warmed my spirits to remind me of that victory against the, what is now little brother here in the Big Apple, the New York Giants. Um, <laughs> so now you got me in a good mood. I'm, I'm doing good, Justin. I mean, that's what I really strive for. I'm, I'm here to cheer you up. And I, I put out the question for our Discord of basically, what, what are you guys interested in? Like, obviously, you know, it was a weird two games. Both teams were, were missing guys. RJ Barrett missing the second game. Uh, Darius Garland and Jared Allen missing both games. Karis LeVert missing one. Ty Jerome uh, out for both as well. Um, but the the one question that really stood out, and I think it's appropriate to uh, to start with it, is what does every game look like this between these two teams? Like <laughs> going back to last year, going to the playoffs, going to these two, it doesn't seem to matter who's on the court. It always looks this way. I, I need your theory on this. So I actually thought Karis LeVert nailed it in the post game last night. These are very identical teams like the Knicks between quickly and Brunson. That's their version of Mitchell and Garland. Like you, whatever comp you want to make with a Coro 
and Levert to RJ and Grimes, whatever wings you want to go to. Like I, the Mitchell Robinson thing is is just so fascinating on our end because they don't call a play for Mitchell Robinson ever. Whatever you get from him offensively is just kind of a bonus. And he just seems to kind of have the Cavs number from our perspective. And they're just, mm-hmm. they're sending doubles at him. They're sending like everybody is crashing the boards with him. And it just, he's still getting any offensive rebound he wants. But we have two bigs in our starting five. One is kind of questionable at the moment. Shout out Julius Randle. But yeah, we'll, we'll uh, get them. Don't you worry. But, but like that. Uh, Robinson and Randall end up being our version of Mobley and Allen. And it's kind of like those old Knicks Pacers rivalries from the nineties where obviously Ewing is better than Smith's, but the Pacers had a version of Smith's obviously Reggie Miller is better than John Starks, but the Knicks had their version of Reggie Miller. And then like Oakley and Mason was their version of the Davis brothers. And you just, these teams matched up so well. And I think that's why these games usually look uh, the way that they do. Yeah. And obviously, you know, second night of a back to back, I think that can be attributed some of this to like both teams have played on the same days uh, mm. for the start of the season. Uh, this is their second set of back to backs. You're getting into regular season shape. That's going to factor in for sure. Um, I, I kind of looked at, at the open three point stats because that's one of the first places I look for this kind of thing. And uh, coming into this back-to-back, the Knicks were averaging 21 threes a game where there wasn't a defender within six feet. That was down to uh, just over 15 in these two games. Uh, the percentage dropped from 44 to, to 36%. So about where the Knicks were uh, last season uh, when it came to those wide open attempts. Cavs, it was about the same. Uh, they took 13 wide open threes uh, in these two games, shot 42% from them. Uh, that's in line with the regular season. They've taken just over 13 uh uh, wide open threes per game a number is a little low I, th- I think that can be attributed to the lack of point guard play that they've had early in the year um, but it, it's just funny that two teams that last year the Knicks were third in offense uh, last year the Cavs were seventh in offense every single time they play they just seem to to bring out the worst in each other uh, offensively and um, do, do you think it has to do with just kind of their ability and the personnel they have to defend one another to an extent yeah I I've walked away every single game that the Knicks have played. The Cavs, very impressed with the Cavs' defense. You know, um, the passing lanes and the way that they are able to, you know, all, the the biggest critique that Knicks fans have of this offense is how ISO heavy it is. And mm. every time you're driving, why aren't you also kicking? Don't go one on three. There's probably someone open in the corner. And that just did not exist in these two games. Every single time I was like, Julius, you gotta, oh, you can't pass. Donovan Mitchell's in the passing lane. RJ, you gotta, oh, you can't pass. Karis LeVert or Isaac Okoro is in the passing lane. I'm just, I walk away very impressed with how, how well disciplined they are, at least how well that they were guarding the Knicks. Um, and then like Tibbs teaches very similar defensive principles. So I think, you know, th- you've theorized that this is just the start of a really good rivalry and we'll see if uh, they match up similarly in the playoffs. I need you to also this part of this pot is going to air on the Knicks film school feed. Yeah. Just say it louder for the people in the back that. They, the Knicks generate open looks and are just missing them. The the complaints about this offense and how uh, stagnant it can be and how ISO heavy it can be. It, like some of that is true, yeah. but like it's not that they don't 
do good things too. They don't generate good looks. They're just also haven't been hitting them the first yeah. couple of games of the season. Yeah, I, I thought the Cavs did a good job of suppressing those attempts, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. 15's about where, uh, you know, league average when it comes to how many open threes a, a team gets per game. And Carter and I will always kind of talk about shot luck on those type of shots because if teams are shooting better than Steph Curry does when he's wide open, you know, that's an unlucky night for you. Um, but the Cavs, you know, uh, suppressing those attempts six fewer uh, than they had uh, on the season coming into this, I, I think, you know, uh, speaks to the job they did defensively. I need to ask you because you, you I, I think it's fair to call you a little bit of an Isaac Okoro skeptic and, you know, him not being healthy for the playoffs is definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the job he did on Jalen Brunson? So it's funny. I was actually saying on our watch along on YouTube last night, if anybody wants to go watch it, the next film school YouTube channel during our watch along, I was saying when anytime Jalen Brunson went one-on-one against Okoro, I was like, come on, like you struggle against him. And mm. I got, I got pushed back and was like, no, it's, it's, it's Jalen Brunson. Like I'm always going to be okay with like the, the guy that they're going to leave wide open on the floor. And it's like, that's fine. Jalen Brunson also struggles against Isaac Okoro. And yeah. That is a thing. And I thought he it, did. it was actually funny because I you think the, the yeah. first two possessions um, in uh, game one of, of this kind of back to back Brunson hit two kind of tough turnaround step back. So over a coral, right? Because like he's so good and strong as a point guard that he's able to kind of generate some of that space. There was a hand in his face. So I was like, I'm kind of happy that he hit these contested shots early on because he might keep going back to this. Well, and I feel like that might be able to gum up the offense a little bit. And, you know, Brunson in, in these games, 15 of 39 from the floor, 38% from three. Uh, overall, Okoro's man uh, in these two games against the Knicks were 19 of 50. Uh, so obviously Brunson mm. accounted for a large part of that, but 38% from the floor. And we've talked about it before. Like part of why we're so interested about whether or not there's going to be this offensive growth from Isaac Okoro. And if he's able to start contributing on the boards and in and, assists and all these other ways is this is a guy that's 22 years old. Uh, you look at basketball indexes, like uh, perimeter on ball defense metrics. And he was in the 99th percentile last year. Like this is a guy that can really be disruptive and is a great point of attack defender. And uh, you know, I think in the second game, uh, a lot of the energy was put on defending Jalen Brunson and you didn't see him uh, kind of the, the the full kind of showcase of what he's done to round out his game. But I, I just have felt his presence out there a whole lot more this year than, than I have in the past. Which he's an impact player then. I think I, from an outsider's perspective, will always question his offensive game, or at least until he yep. improves, I'm not going to rule out that he can improve. And you've brought up a bunch of times when we've spoken that like, there's a certain checkpoint, right? That he started hitting a consistent three point jumper yeah. uh, last season. And that potentially carried over to this season. I, oh, it's even before then. It's uh, it's oh, over so, 100 games now, baby. He, he's so, up uh, over 39%. But it's just like, it's low volume, right? Like when you talk about the parallels between the Cavs and the Knicks, there's a lot of Josh Hart there, right? You know, like a 6'4", okay. 6'5", six, six, kind of guy needs to keep shooting when he's open. But our hope, you know, is, hey, he can go out there and if he's getting the rebounds and the playmaking that Hart does, you can justify having him on the court in those same ways. So that's a perfect comp then because what did Miami do all through? And honestly, what did the Cavs do uh, last night? This is the game two. It's when Josh Hart was on the floor. Like, you, you 
you shy off of him. You lay off of him. He doesn't create the spacing that you need. And if he beats you, like, God bless you. And that's one of the biggest frustrations Knicks fans have with Josh Hart, aside from, like, the good things that he does, is, like, if you're open, you got to shoot it, man. Like, we, mm. he's not, like, a bad three-point shooter. He shot really well when he came over from Portland last year. He's just so hesitant to take the three and the pump fakes that he does that it just screws up the offense and doesn't let them get into a rhythm. I think that's how the Knicks have guarded a Coro. And it's like, we'll, we'll put Brunson on him. We'll use Brunson to kind of help in the paint as well. And if a Coro goes like four or five from three, like he beats. Yeah. like that's just what that, that is part of the game plan. Yeah. He, he was the leading three point shooter in the first game, which goes to show just how poorly the Cavs shot in that particular game. Yes. Um, but yeah, like it, it, I, I think that there's definitely a lot of parallels there, but you know, it, it's tough to evaluate uh, these games. I've now watched, uh, I think, three and a half uh, full Knicks games, uh, or I guess not full Knicks games, but I, I've watched a, a decent amount of Knicks this year. And a couple of things that have stood out to me is one, I'm impressed with RJ Barrett's growth. I, I think you might even have like a, a changing of the guards in, in terms of the hierarchy where he's really kind of elevated himself. Uh, last year, I felt, um, you know, Quinn and Grimes was probably a better player than him and, and, I mean, certainly right now he has been better than Julius Randle. We'll we'll see how long uh, that continues. But I've also been really impressed by the the improvement from Mitchell Robinson because there were times last year where you know he was taken off of the court, right? And uh, the defensive impact was more limited to rim protection, not as good in space. And I just feel like overall he has really improved as as a player overall. Mitchell Robinson. My goodness, we're year five with him, or I guess year six with him. In fact, crazy aside about Mitchell Robinson, he's the longest tenured Nick right now. <laughs> he, he's, I mean, that's just, that's more of a Knicks thing than anything else. But like the fact that this guy they got in the Carmelo Anthony to the Thunder trade, because that was a second round pick they got that didn't go to college and they took him basically out of high school, but a year removed from right. high school without any any training and they just kind of developed him through multiple regimes and stuck with him. And what they've turned him into, this offensive rebound machine that's kind of the focal point for that number three offense. They're so good at offensive rebounding and he's so good at offensive rebounding. And it just creates extra possession after extra possession. Like I was, I mean, you know, the numbers, they've shot five of 30 from three last night. And I'm looking at the box score every chance I get. And I'm like, how are we down five? You yeah. know, like, how are we down? How are we in this game with how poorly they're shooting? They missed 12 free throws. They missed all these threes. They shot under 40% from the field. How are they in this? It's like, oh, they have eight extra possessions because Mitchell Robinson is on the floor. So, yeah, yeah I hey, to, to think. Yeah, his offense lot, also did a lot to help well, keep so them like, in that game as well, but for as sure. A result, but as yeah. a result, the Knicks offense being so poor, they needed as many extra chances that they could get, you know? like Yeah. As bad as the Cavs were, they weren't as crazy as to say it. They weren't as bad as the Knicks last night on offense. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And, and that was, you know, a pleasant surprise to see, especially when, you know, you're not playing with a point guard. And I think adding Karis Levert in uh, after missing the first game of the back to back helped because a lot of times Levert can be the backup point guard. He had a beautiful dime late in the game to, to Tristan Thompson, you know, the little pocket pass and in, in traffic. Um, and he's someone that can operate in, in the pick and roll in that way. And it was just something they didn't have. And, and I think, you know, it speaks to some of the limitations that Donovan Mitchell has as a lead ball handler. Like he, he's a good playmaker 
uh, as a secondary creator. But when you get into these matchups where, you know, the first half, he was just ridiculous. Like he, he was completely on fire. And I was sitting talking like privately, I was pessimistic because I'm like, you know, he's going like this, but he's going to get tired. This is the second night of a back to back. You know, he's coming back uh, from hamstring soreness and like if he's not getting anybody else going when he cools off, is the offense going to be able to maintain? And the fact that they were able to take the lead and then build an eight point lead in the third quarter without him scoring a point, uh, I thought was really encouraging. Uh, having a guy like Craig Porter Jr., an undrafted rookie, kind of step up and, and be a steady hand at times was nice. But um, yeah, like that, that's that's one of the things I've kept my eye on because it, it is for all the things that Mitchell does well. When you know Garland's not out there and, and there's no other point guard, it can be a little tough to to get sustained good offense there. So it's funny that the encouraging uh, third quarter that you watched of the Nick that the Cavs being able to build an eight point lead without Mitchell scoring a point was also the bane of my existence watching this lineup oh, sure. that the Knicks are like, we, we recognize that Mitchell wasn't the one killing them, but my goodness, if you want this to transition into the Julius Randall conversation, it can, but oh yeah, the way that they were able to get points and it was just so clear up. Oh, Julius missed the rotation up. Oh, Julius is late getting help. Like letting Max Struess go by him. Like prime Russell Westbrook was so glaring and it was and not moment. fighting for offensive rebounds too. Like there, there was one in the fourth quarter. I, I forget exactly one in the fourth quarter, but mm-hmm. there was one that he probably could have got and there just wasn't big effort there. And like, it stands out because I, I don't know if you've noticed this just watching NBA games in general. Like I'm blown away by the intensity early in the season. Like it feels like teams are, are really out there fighting and uh, offensive rating league average is down to the lowest it's been since 1819. Obviously, you know, it's early in the year, but I feel like teams are really competing out there and playing with a lot of intensity. Uh, certainly both teams were playing with a lot of defensive intensity. So Randall kind of stuck out uh, like a sore thumb uh, in this matchup. Justin, look at everybody else that was on the court last night. They played that game with the intensity you're talking about. The play you're talking about with Randall not getting an offensive rebound, it was the fourth quarter. Knicks were down five, I believe. And um, Randall goes and sets a screen for Quickly and then doesn't roll. He just stays there. And Quickly's looking for him to do something. And what he has to do is take this long contested three. Ball ends up going towards Randall, but he doesn't box out. It's just a, a circumstance rebound opportunity. And because there's two other players going for the ball too, will actually want it. He doesn't get it. And then of course, back at the other end, Cavs get two points. And it was plays like that last night that were made, made, made Knicks fans and our post game show. Very frustrated uh, talking <laughs> about this two time all NBA two time all star. So what's going on there? Because he's shooting 28% from the floor, 26% from three, uh, 28, 18 in these games. Say that again. Like how bad these splits are. Like 28% from the floor, 26% from three. And he was even worse in these two games, 28, 18 uh, against the Cavs. Like what's going on? I I, I need your theory here. Uh, The theory. Um, (laughs) So the tough part is the enigma that could be Julius Randle. Like nobody knows the actual. Mm-hmm. We all have theories, and also we don't the, the sample know. size too, right? Like it, it oh, is small. And five that's games worth we, noting, and that's what we prefaced all of our criticism last night. It's five games. There's 
77 more basketball games. At this point last season, there was a legitimate like fire Tibbs movement going on within the fan base. And then he finished top six in coach of the year. So like Funny how every fan base does that. It's, well, yeah. that's a thing. You're right. That you and I get it. That like that is literally a, a war cry amongst every single fan base. But I digress. The the Julius Randle part of it, there's speculation that they are trying to do new things within the offense in trying to do more ball movement, trying to uh, do more off ball movement. So that way it's not as ISO heavy and not as stagnant. They're also being covered a certain way. The coverage is like people watched what the Cavs and the heat did to them last year in the playoffs. And so we're just not going to, we're not going to let you just crash the boards. And that's the way you're going to get your top three offensive rating. You're going to you actually have to make shots this, this year and yeah. actually shoot the ball. And they just haven't been able to do that as a team just yet. And because Julius and his offensive, his three point impact and how many three point attempts he was taking last year was much more important because then it creates any hint of spacing in a starting lineup that has a true center in the dunker spot. Um, he, last year, he let it let it fly. I think he finished top five in three-point attempts per 36 minutes, right? Yeah. And this year, there is a clear hesitation with him. And we don't know if it goes back to the ankle injury in the playoffs that, that required surgery in the offseason. We don't know uh, the, the theories. Is it because he shaved his head and has a new hairdo? Is it because he's with Skechers now instead of Nike? Is it because he left CAA and doesn't have his same coaches that he would if he was with the Knicks? Like any theory you have, like you, it's, it's probably justified because <laughs> this is the type of player that Knicks fans have had to root for the last couple of years where you don't know what side of the bed he wrote, woke up on and whether it's going to impact the type of game he's going to play. Our, we do a betting and sweating. Shout out Walt Clyde Frazier. We do a betting and sweating segment before every game. Three of us picked Julius Randle overs last night. Like there's clearly a, oh, this is a Julius game theory thought, but then it ends up not being. It's like, oh, Julius is going to be bad tonight. Oh, he's a triple double. Like it's so hot and cold with, with yeah. this player. So it's, it's, and it's we've like seen that with, theories as good as mine, you know? And we've seen that with the, these past matchups too, right? Like there, there was the one game in the garden where he hit like a billion threes. And uh, that was basically the end of the Kevin Love tenure uh, mm. with the Cavs because, you know, just uh, kept dropping it and allowing him to, to walk into those threes. Um, and, and we've seen him, you know, struggle. Uh, obviously, you know, wasn't healthy for the playoffs. Um, and, and individually, he's had issues when Evan Mobley's been on him, but there was like, healthy amounts of Dean Wade on him in these games, right? Uh, George Niang w- was George out there. Niang. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No disrespect, yeah. but like that's, that's what was shutting down Julius Randall. Right. Yesterday. And that, you know, that was, <laughs> I, I think JB Bickerstaff was trying to get uh, Niang going a little bit, um, it, gambling on how poorly Randall's played to this point. And uh, the gamble paid off. Um, I don't think Niang necessarily had an awesome game, but he was out there competing and Randall, like, the way you attack Niang, I think, is more in space instead of backing him down because he is like a solid presence and was just attacking him in the wrong ways. 